could we go around and let's just warm each other's hearts on this cold, wet, dark day. Can we do that right now? All right, let's do it. Let's do it right now. I am so excited to be able to be actually starting a series, uh, and we're going to be doing it uh, through the summer. Well, not through the whole summer, but we're going to spend about eight weeks on David. So we're going to be leaving Matthew. Uh, Matthew has been such a a strong encouragement to me, and uh, of course the New Testament Gospels uh, are an amazing, amazing time of learning and studying. But we want to kind of switch gears a little bit, and what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at the Old Testament, and probably my favorite Bible character, David, not just because of my name, of course, but I love the character David. And I think the reason why I love David so much is because he is so relatable, right? As a matter of fact, when we look at the character David, we could see ourselves a lot of times in what he has to face, the struggles that he has to uh, endure, the sins that he gets entangled in, right? And we see a person who's a lot like us as Christians, as disciples of Jesus Christ. And so what we're going to be doing is we're going to be focusing about eight weeks uh, on the life of David. And through that, I hope that it can be a great blessing to you and it can be something that can refresh and also uh, satisfy your souls as we look into God's word. And so today I want to start off uh, by looking at David. So if you, could, if you could, let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Would you do that? 1 Samuel chapter 17. And we're going to be taking on this great adventure in 1 Samuel uh, at the first part of David's life. And I trust it'll be a real help to you. When we study the Old Testament Saint David, I think we notice a few things. First of all, we notice that he is the greatest king of Israel. He is the standard by which all the other kings of Israel are set. He's like the Michael Jordan of Israel, that all basketball players, right, are always compared to Michael Jordan. Well, David is that person that everyone looks to, to see whether Israel's kings were obedient to the Lord or whether they're disobedient to the Lord. He is the greatest king of Israel. Not only that, but he is the greatest psalmist. He is the worship leader of Israel. More than half the songs, I don't know if you knew this, but half the songs that we find in the Bible were written by this man, King David. Not only that, but he was, in his time, the greatest soldier of his age. That the mighty men were amassed by David. That people flocked all over Israel to be led by David as a soldier. He was respected by allies, but also foes, also enemies respected him as well. Not only that, but he was the greatest messianic prophet. He foretold of Jesus, the Messiah. And Jesus uses David more than any other prophet to refer back to him. And so in light of all of David's accomplishments, we can say that David was a very successful man of God that he was a very successful Christian, as it were, if we bring it back to, to our day. But what made David so successful? What made him so greatly used of God? And here's the point that I want to make this morning. What made David great was not his external exploits, but rather his internal integrity. Let me say that again. What made David great was not his external exploits, not his adventures, not what he did on the outward, but rather it was his internal heart. In other words, David was an inside man, not an outside man. David was an interior man, 
not an exterior man. That David was an internal person, not an external person. In 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7, you don't have to turn there, but when God directs the prophet Samuel to look for the future king of Israel, he commands this in verse 7, do not consider his appearance nor the height of his stature. The Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The heart is the inner. It's the hidden. It's the private. It's what God looks at, what God finds the most important. And David was a man after God's own heart. This tells us that greatness with God does not occur in the outward life, but it actually occurs in the inward life. Let me say it this way. Greatness with God does not occur in the public life, but it actually occurs in the private life. In 1 Samuel chap, uh, chapter 17, here we see David is 17 years of age. And God has privately been preparing David his whole life as a shepherd in the backside of a desert. God has been establishing David's character for 17 years to be a man after his own heart. So before David's public appearance, when we see him fight Goliath of Gath, David's inner heart had already been established by God. And when you study the life of David, you see a man of tremendous commitment and tremendous passion to God, so that even when he falls and he fails, he is still a consistent lover of God. We see a sincerity that he has to seek God. You see, those characteristics have been engraved in the desert experiences. They've been forged in the valley experiences. They've been perfected in the hidden experiences. And we're going to look at that in our study as we look at the life of David. But every one of us, we have a public life and a private life. We have an outward life and we have an inner life. The outward life is what people see. It's our public persona. We could come to church and we could banter back and forth with our friends, and we can meet visitors, and we can drink coffee and smile, and everybody would think everything is going okay, right? We can look at our public life, and everybody could see what a great person we are. But the private life, or the inward life, is what you know to be true. What only you and God see in the quietness and the recesses of your own life. And so God places supreme value on our inward life more than he does on our outward life. If I had time, I would show you scripture after scripture in the Old and New Testaments where this is true. That God's desire is to prepare you in the inward place that's hidden and secret where no one can see. Because it's on our private walk with God that will determine our public success as disciples of Jesus Christ. So in 1 Samuel chapter 17, we're going to see one of the most recognized stories in all of the Bible. And you've probably heard this story many, many times. It's the battle between David and Goliath. It's uh, such that even non-Christians know this story. But what I want to do is I want to actually skip the public victory, and we're going to actually study that next week. And what I'd like to do is I would like to talk about the private victories that we see. Because when we read this narrative, we tend to gravitate toward the public display of his life and overlook the private hidden insights of this story that I believe are just as profound. So this morning, we want to study the life of David so that we can learn how to be disciples of the heart. 
okay? We want to learn how to be men and women after God's own heart in the area of cultivating our interior lives. Deep, strong, mature discipleship that requires spiritual development in our inward lives. So we're going to look at uh, some internal character traits established by God and exhibited in David before his external victory over Goliath. So the first thing that we want to look at is David's humility. David's humility. Let's look in verse 14. And David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from King Saul to tend to his father's sheep at Bethlehem. I want to stop right there. Now again, these are internal insights, right? And it's easy to pass over this passage because we want to get to Goliath. We want to get to that public victory. And we pass this over without a second thought. But we need to understand a few things, okay? If you want, you can turn to chapter 16. And I want you to look in verse 14. And I want to start right there. It says, Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's attendants said to him, Let our king command his servants here to search for someone who can play the harp. He will play when the evil spirit comes upon you, and you will feel better. And so Saul said to his attendants, Find someone who plays well and bring him to me. And one of the servants answered, I've seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the harp. Verse 19. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David who is with the sheep. Drop down to verse 21. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul liked him very much. And David became one of his, and underline this, armor bearers. Then Saul said to Jesse, allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased. Verse 23, and whenever the spirit from God came upon Saul, David would take his harp and he would play. I want you to notice something. Here we see that David was already promoted to Saul's court, right? When Saul was tormented uh, by evil spirits, he was demon oppressed. David would, uh, was enlisted as a musician because of his music and singing skills because of his writing uh, spiritual songs and he became one of Saul's armor bearers and he would play spiritual worship to soothe Saul's mind and his heart. So this became a permanent job or a permanent position for David. I want you to keep that in your minds, okay? Now I want you to look at chapter 16 and verse 1, the beginning of that, um, beginning of that uh, chapter. It says this, and the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. Verse 6. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Verse 10, and Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons that you have? And Jesse answered, there is still the youngest, but he's tending the sheep. And Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy with fine appearance and handsome features, and the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He's the one. So Samuel anointed him in the presence of his brothers. So David, get this, was anointed by God as the future king of Israel, right? He knew it. His brothers knew it. 
His father and his family knew it. David was already in the court of the present king as an armor bearer and as a musician. So here's my question. Why did he continue in chapter 17, verse 14 and 15 to go back and forth, back and forth to tend to his father's sheep at Bethlehem? David could have easily dismissed this responsibility that shepherding his father's flock was beneath him now, right? The life of a shepherd, and I think we've shared this before, was a very humble existence. Shepherds were considered the lowliest of occupations so that there's no nostalgic idea that David loved being a shepherd, right? This wasn't something that he aspired to, and this was surely no place for the position and rank of a future king of Israel, and David knew this. But notice the heart of David, that he saw all his responsibilities as equal. David didn't say, now I'm a courtier to the king, I shouldn't have to do this. Or he didn't say, I will one day be the future king, so this is beneath me, I'm not going to do this. He was willing to take on any responsibility that God required him to do. And I'm sure that he didn't like doing some of these things. But you know what? This underlines the fact, and this is the heart of David, that he was a servant. You see, as Christians, we're called to be servants. And it's easy to forget that in our lives. And the deeper we grow as disciples, the more like Jesus we become. Let me give you Philippians chapter 2. You don't have to turn there. Just listen to this. In verse 4, it says your attitude, and he's speaking to believers, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. The very example of Jesus was humility as a servant. This is very important because I don't know where you are today, but let me ask you this question. Is God working on your private life? Are you struggling in a mundane, monotonous, lowly job? Are your circumstances difficult? Is God using sickness or conflict or trials to humble you and to make you more of a servant? You see, these things are being used to make you more and more like Christ. Is God showing you areas of disobedience or of pride or areas that you are unwilling to follow? Are you finding it difficult to be a servant in the lowly things? Let me share with you this. Don't despise the lowly things that God is using to make you into the person that he wants you to be. God was developing David's servant spirit in the lowly, mundane, humble things before he ever saw public success. So humility, are you humble in the lowly things? The next point we want to see is David's dependability. Let's look in verse 17. Can we, can we continue on? It says, Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit and see how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. There was Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. And early in the morning, David left the flock with a shepherd and loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. I want you to drop down to verse 22. And David left his things with the keeper of the supplies and ran to the battle lines and greeted his brothers. Again, we're not looking at this showdown with Goliath. We're looking at these passages. And you might be thinking, why are you even mentioning this stuff? This sounds so insignificant, right? 
So David took some grain and bread and cheese and obeyed his father and took it to his brothers and the unit commanders. So he left his flock with the shepherd. So he went back and forth to tend to his father's sheep. So what? Right? You might be thinking this. As insignificant as this sounds, this is a pattern that emerges. As insignificant as these things are, we see a pattern that is so important for our lives. I want you to notice that the little things are important to David. David was dependable with the few sheep that had been given him. You see, the little things in private determine the big things in public. Okay, let me say that again. The little things in private determine the big things in public. You know, Song of Solomon, which is a part of the wisdom literature. Song of Solomon, chapter 2 and verse 15, says it this way. I love this. Catch the little foxes that destroy the vineyards because our vineyards are in full bloom. I want you to picture that our life is like a vineyard. And this is what Song of Solomon says. We're growing, we're prosperous, we're productive. Our life is like a blooming vineyard, but it's the little foxes that do damage to the vineyards that are in full bloom. What are the little foxes that threaten our productivity? Well, they're little habits, right? It's in our private lives that we develop the habits, good habits and bad habits, that lead to our character. And dependability in those habits matter to God. And so let me ask you just a few things. How are you with the habit of your daily quiet times, of your daily devotions? You know, uh, Pastor Wilson has spent many, uh, many times talking about how important prayer is, how important Bible study is. And we as a church, we're committed to those things. But why is it that we are? It's because Christianity is not a religion, right? It's a relationship with God. And so prayer is communicating with God. And studying the Bible is learning about him and walking with him. And so let me ask you, in our daily lives, in our devotions, do we spend time with the Lord? Do we spend at least 30 minutes a day depend, being dependable and faithful in our relationship with God? You see, it's the little foxes of neglect that hurt the vineyards. Let me ask you another one. Do you regularly give? I mean, we could talk about Old Testament tithing, which is 10%, or you know, in the New Testament, you, maybe we should give more of our wealth. I'm not so concerned about that, but I'm asking, are we dependable and faithful in giving to God's work? You know, I've taken college students out before, and we'll talk about it. And I'm, you know, I'm taking them out. They're never taking me out, but I'm taking them out because they have no money. And what they'll tell me sometimes is, you know what? When I hit it big, you know, when I become this, you know, businessman or I become a doctor, that's when I'll give to the Lord. That's when I'll give to his work. But I'm broke right now. I have no money, right? And so uh, many times we give that as, a, as an excuse. But my thing is, if we're not giving now, what... You know, what makes it a reality when we're rich, when we have wealth? If we don't develop the little habits of generosity to the Lord, when we don't develop the habits of giving the Lord our first fruits, then what's to say that when we do arrive, as it were, that we'll be giving it all? How are we in our giving to the Lord? How are we when we actively, how are, uh, how are you actively involved in church? The Bible says in Hebrews 10.25, do not neglect to meet together. That's the idea of corporate worship. That's the idea of meeting together as a church. Do not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, 
but encourage one another and all the more. The Bible calls us to be faithful in our commitment to the local church, in participating in the body of believers. That means small groups and prayer meetings and Bible studies, right? We don't want to be just a church you know, of consumers where we just come and that's it, right? We want to be involved in the church. We want to serve the community as a renewed church. The local church is the place that encourages our spiritual growth as we serve, as we give, as we learn more about God. It is the habit that we develop in our daily lives. We know this, but often we develop another habit, don't we? We develop a habit of excuses, right? Where we say, I have my career obligations, I can't do this. Or I have my business priorities, I can't go here. Or I have my children's sports commitments, right? And so I can't do that. And pretty soon, and by the way, I understand that we have those things in our daily lives. I'm not saying that they're evil or anything like that. But what happens is pretty soon our obligations and our responsibilities and our hobbies end up crowding out the spiritual growth that we have to have as we grow in Christ. And so the Bible says, catch the little foxes of apathy that seem to hurt us in our spiritual growth. Let me give you another one. Do you honor the commitments that you made? We're to catch the little foxes of irresponsibility. Do you keep your promises or do you break them? Can people count on you or are you flaky? The greatest ability, you've probably heard this before, my mom has said this many times, is dependability. And I think that's so true. David exhibited the habits of dependability in the little menial tasks that he was assigned. Jesus puts it this way in Luke 16.10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much. You see, we need to learn to be dependable in the little things so that God can give us the big things in our lives. Are you dependable in the little things? Okay, so the third aspect we want to see is David's integrity. Let's look in verse 23. And Goliath, the Philistine, the champion of Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. I want you to notice that Goliath's title here in the Bible was champion. We're going to study next week why that is true, that he was undefeated in single combat, right? And the Bible says that all of the Israeli soldiers, when they saw him, trembled in fear. But I want you to notice, as we look in Scripture, everybody trembled in fear, including Saul, but not this 17-year-old boy, David. And you've got to ask, why not? Why wasn't he afraid? Let's continue reading in verse 26. And David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Get this, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? I want you to notice, first of all, that David refused to call him a giant or a champion. Instead, David refers to him as an uncircumcised Philistine. When you read this, you think maybe he's trash talking, right? Maybe he's name-calling. Oh, you uncircumcised. But you know, in that day, everybody was uncircumcised, right? And so it's only the Israelites that are circumcised. So it's not trash-talking or name-calling. What David is alluding to was that this person was a pagan outside of God's covenant community. So David's saying, who is this pagan who doesn't know our God, who has no idea about our God, talking bad about our God? Who is this pagan who attacks God's character? Now, word reaches King Saul. Let's look in verse 31. So what David said was overheard and reported to Saul, 
And Saul sent for him, verse 32. And David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Verse 33. Then Saul replied, you are not able to go out and fight against this Philistine. You are only a boy, and he has been a fighting man from his youth. So Saul wants to talk some sense into this young teenage boy. And so he tells him, there's no way that you're going to defeat Goliath. You're a 17-year-old boy. He's a champion giant. He's a warrior, okay? It's like saying, listen, the Toronto Raptors have no, no business playing the Golden State Warriors in the finals. They're going to get totally destroyed, right? And rightly so. It makes sense, right? But I love the response. And here's the crux of the whole passage. This is the reason why David was unafraid. This was why David had such confidence. Verse 34, but David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's flock of sheep. When a lion or bear came to carry off a sheep from the flock, verse 35, I went after it, I struck it, and I rescued it, the sheep from its mouth. I seized it, and I killed it. David is not just bragging here. If you thought that he's bragging, you're missing the whole point. David is sharing his testimony with King Saul. You see, David experienced God's faithfulness in the past, and on that basis, David has complete faith in God for the present. And this is David's integrity. It's his idea of trusting in God, that David has seen victories in the past. David has seen where his faith has carried him to great heights. And so compared to what he's seen in the past, this is not that big of a deal. Do you know why David wasn't afraid of a giant in public? It's because he wasn't afraid of a lion in private. Can I get an amen? Do you know why David didn't back down from a giant in public? It's because he didn't back down from a bear in private. You see, if I put a gun to your head and I made you choose uh, to fight between either a lion or a bear or Boogie Cousins, okay? And by the way, he's a basketball player. He's about seven foot tall, right? If I would put a gun to your head and I said, you had to fight one of these three, what would you choose? Well, yeah, all of us hands down, we would choose the giant, right? Because the giant is actually the more inferior of the enemy, that would, that would be something that we would have a better chance fighting. And so here, we see that we take our chances with a giant. What's my point? That we forget the miraculous victories that God had already uh, done in David's life in private that no one had ever known about. And many times the battles that we face in private are even greater than the battles that we have to face in public. No one saw David battle the greater lion or the greater bear. Again, if it were me and a lion came and took my, and I was a shepherd and the lion took one of my sheep, I'd say, go, take the sheep. I wouldn't do anything about that, right? But here we see David's integrity that he felt like no one should be taking of my father's flock. And even when nobody saw, when nobody could um, applaud him or praise him, he did what he did in the quietness and the privacy of uh, that shepherd's hill. Listen, we can see genuine character and integrity. Let's look in verse 36. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. In private, may I add. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Verse 37, the Lord who has delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. You see, the battles that we win in private are going to determine our character in public. You know, 
David exuded victory in public because it was a testimony of his private life and the victories that he had seen God give him in his private. You see, when we defeat our foes in private, they will not defeat us in the public arena. You don't defeat pornography in our private life. Now, why is that so important? Why is our thought life so important? Because thoughts, when you think them long enough, turn into desires. Desires, when you desire them long enough, turn into actions. Actions, when you act upon them long enough, turn into habits. And habits, when you perform them long enough, turn into our character. And so thoughts are the very gateway into who we are. And so kill pornography in our private life so that there's no infidelity of our character in our public life. Defeat covetousness and greed in our private life so that we won't embezzle money from our public workplace. Defeat laziness and sloth in our private life, right, so that we won't be a failure in our public life. Defeat gossip and grumbling in our private life so that we won't cause division and dissension in our public life, in the life of the church. Defeat bitterness, resentment, insecurity in our private arena so that we won't ruin relationships in our public arena. Does that make sense? Here we see that our private life is so much more important than the public life that many of us uh, are facing now. Are there areas in your private life where God is teaching you to be real, to be genuine, to be a person of integrity? Because real life Christianity means taking our private life seriously. God's desire for you is to become a deep disciple in the inward as well as in the outward. I want to give you a poem to close out our time. It's one of my favorite poems. It's called Hidden Valleys. And it refers to David as a shepherd boy. And it's a great way to start out our study of David. Hidden Valleys, it's, it goes like this. In a hidden valley just over the hill, a young shepherd boy surrenders his will. And as he lifts his voice and prays to his king, only the lambs will uh, hear and follow as he sings. In a hidden valley, a faithful one leads. No one looking on, he cares for their needs. For he knows the one who tests the heart. And so he is steadfast and content to do his part. Hidden valleys produce a life song. Hidden valleys will make a heart strong. Desperation will cause you to sing. Hidden valleys turn shepherds to kings. In a hidden valley, a leader is born. He has faced his fears and weathered his storms. So with humble heart and love for his God, he becomes royalty with just a staff and rod. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes just for a moment? I want us to look into our own hearts just for just this time. I'm not saying that David was a perfect man. Far from it. David cries out in his Psalms how much he needs God's love and God's forgiveness and God's presence. David was a man in need of the gospel, just like every one of us. But David allowed God to develop him in the hidden valleys, in the place that's secret, in the place that's inward. So I want to ask you in the quietness of your own heart, how is God developing you in the hidden valleys of your private life? Are you humble in the lowly things? Are you dependable in the little things? Are you righteous in the unseen things? With those truths, 
I want us to prepare for communion. And if you've named the name of Christ, if you know him as your Lord and Savior, I would ask that you partake of this communion, remembering that you are a person in need of the gospel. And ask the Lord, are there areas in, in your inner life that God is doing a work? Father, we thank you for this time that we've had. And we pray, Lord, that as we study the life of David, that you would teach us how to become men and women after God's own heart. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said.